podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Mr. Dobson, great to have you on to help with some hosting duties, as as always. You're you're uh, you're you're more than able substitute for Mr. Mark Smith, who just left us wanting tonight. Thanks for coming in. Uh, it's 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 always a pleasure, and it's been you know it's easy when you just have so many games and so many incidents sort of packed together to talk for you. It's more about what you leave out. Well, this is it. And to be honest, whether 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 we're, we're all hosts or we're all guests, it doesn't matter. As long as we cover the actual points, we had some crackers tonight, didn't we? We had uh, the FA Cup games from the weekend. Yep, and you know, I, I I did love our guest take on 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 Aubameyang and and Giroud and and where it all fits in for Arsenal going forward. The big picture. We talk obviously about the biggest news of the weekend: Leeds coming up, which is uh, going to be a tasty season next year. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Bielsa is a uh, a madman genius, and I think the Premier is going to be even better for him. And then it, I guess it's also you know looking at, at who might be going through the outdoor and whether whether Watford are going to be that or whether Villa's going to sort of scrape it in the last day of the season. Yeah, well, listen, we cover all that and more. So uh, listen in, subscribe, etc. And uh, yeah, enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the well, maybe penultimate. I'm not, I'm not quite sure if it is or it isn't, just because of the amount of football that we've had on. I've kind of lost track of the game weeks. Gareth, how about you? Have you, you been able to keep track of things? Just about. All I know is that every evening there's football on, so I just kind of settle in and uh, and see what's put in front of me. I know it's like the game, the game weeks have merged into one. We'll, we'll listen. Join, joining us tonight, thankfully, is someone who um, I'm not putting any pressure on you, Al, but um, you might know more than us. Um, uh, is Alan Alga, Alan, great to have you on. Yeah, guys, it's great to be with you again. Great stuff. So, uh, yeah, Gareth Dobson and Alan Alga. I, I, I haven't done this on purpose, but obviously, Gareth being a Spurs fan, Alan being an a, a Arsenal fan, but it seems like you've got bigger fish to fry at the minute than, than each other. So we'll, we'll come on to that in a second. Um, I was just saying that we're, we're doing this podcast just before your kickoff, Alan. So obviously everything we say might or might not be relevant afterwards. But um, did uh, I mean you couldn't have had even you couldn't have had too much complaints after that performance at the weekend, mate? <laughs> I think you're uh, alluding to the fact that I'm usually one of the more <laughs> well. People call it negative. I, I really struggle to to put my side across and say. It's actually just being realistic, and that, that's what I try and come across as. But obviously, that means that if Arsenal were doing extremely well, you get told by all of the, uh, the positive people that you're being negative, and vice versa. If Arsenal were doing badly, you get told that you're not going, you, you know, you're not going too far over the top. Um, but you have to be. Delighted with the way that, that Mikel Arteta has started his reign as Arsenal boss because there's a few things that weren't really football related that, that Arsenal fans had gripes over. And I, I get it numerous times on Twitter, people saying to me, well, you know, try supporting Barry. You know, we haven't got a team or Wigan. We're in financial uh, trauma at the moment or things like, yeah. like that. And 
And I have to try and say to those people that it is all relative. Yes. Um, it, it's, you know, we're paying for sort of a, a Ferrari of a football team. And, you know, if you if you have the Ferrari and you break down, you'd probably moan more than someone that's, that's got a mini <laughs> breakdown or a Skoda. And you, and you really would because you paid the money for it. And, and I think it is all relative. It's all based on expectation. And at the moment, Mikel Arteta is saying things that Arsenal fans wanted to hear for about the last 10 years. He, he wants the players to have a good attitude. He wants the players to be trying in matches. And, and that might sound absurd because, you know, that seems quite a simple thing. But um, under Arsene Wenger, we lost our way. I think the players noticed that slide in the discipline and they took advantage of it. They didn't take on board any of Emery's uh, plans or attention to detail that he provided, even though we were told when he came in, he is a disciplinarian. They didn't listen to him. And as soon as that little chink in his armour was was exposed by the, the Ozil rouse and a few other things, the player switched off. And you saw that in, uh, and it seems like an age ago, you know, it was a, it was a year and a month ago, but the, the um, Europa League final against Chelsea, where, uh, you know, off the back of a few poor league results where Arsenal had their Champions League destiny in their own hands. They blew that. Then they blew the, the big game against Chelsea. And that's what set him on the path for this season to go wrong. Now, the absurd thing is, is that this is Mikel Arteta's, uh, the game against Aston Villa tonight, is his 19th Premier League game as Arsenal boss. That is half of a Premier League season. Half of a Premier League season. If he wins tonight... He goes just slightly above Arsene Wenger's first 19 games. But six points ahead of that, you've got Unai Emery's first 19 games. As <laughs> so you never know how it's going to turn out. Well, yeah, I think realism is the, the key there. And uh, uh, as you said, I'd say that that's very much correct because we've had this in the past, haven't we? We've had to settle scores with, you know, Lloyd, uh, passionate fans like Lloyd Griffiths who are Grimsby fans. And you were just giving it to him straight about the... Um, the conference and the probabilities and various things like that. And sometimes that can be quite sobering. Um, I'm going to bring Gareth in here because this seems like a perfect time. Gareth, the uh, perhaps the excitement, maybe back again, uh, seeing Harry Kane back to his old tricks. But, uh, but are you fooled by that? Are you, uh, I mean, in the bigger picture with Jose still there, which we've touched upon, uh, how, how did you feel about things at the weekend? Uh, it was, you know, it, it was nice to see uh, Spurs be quite ruthless. Uh, it's something that they haven't really been for for a good year or so. I mean, the, there was a sort of slow decline under under Pochettino. As much as we love and laud him, you know, the, the team never looked quite right for for a while. So it was nice to see a team, you know, with was it thirty percent possession, win three 0 It was very Mourinho. Um, it was you know they played very well. Yeah, you know, I thought Leicester were were pretty shocking, um, yeah. and you know. I think with Kane, he he's he's been kind of written off as probably too strong, but I I think you know there's these sort of sideward glance uh, glances kind of cast at it. <laughs> yeah. You know, is he is he done already? Has he had too many injuries? Has he played too much football? Has he passed his prime? And you know he's you know he's never going to be the most sort of mobile or graceful looking player, but he just has an incredible knack for scoring goals, and he also has an an amazing drive to want to score goals and to you know. To, to want for his team to do well. So that's going to stick around for a while, but whether he does, we will see. Well, this, well, and, and the reflection, um, I'll bring you back in on Obama, Yang. 
as you see what's been spoken today about from Arteta, as you said, saying the right things. But um, how do you feel about him as uh, a, a kind of a long-term solution for you guys? Are you kind of happy with him right now? Yeah, I think you have to be happy with him. It's whether or not he's happy with, with Arsenal. I, I, I hope he stays. Uh, I, mean, I think there are certain players that probably do need to be moved on. And I think most Arsenal fans trust that Mikel Arteta knows which ones do need to be moved on. Aubameyang isn't one of them. He's one that we need to sign up and, and yeah. keep at the club. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. My, yeah, I suppose my point was being more the, the noises out of Aubameyang rather than the performances on the pitch, because definitely those have been there. It's um, it's 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 one of those is un- uncertainty at this point in the season. But you're right, when, when you see Otso there, I think the, the Sky Sports News always cut him with uh, Sat with his feet up under that umbrella at the minute, which is always one of those kind of things where that, you know, you just, all you can see there is how much money he's on and how to solve that problem. And I don't know if Arteta's got the answers, but have you heard any rumblings or what do you think is a potential outcome from that situation, Al? Well, you like to think as an Arsenal fan that there's probably only 10 clubs that he could go to where he'd be better himself. Um, you know, 10 years ago, if someone left Arsenal, there's probably only two clubs where you could you could better yourself. But um, they've got to obviously stump up with a uh, transfer fee, which is going to be, um, you know, somewhere significantly above what Arsenal paid for him, which was £56 million. I know I know he's getting on now. He's 31. But um, the fact that Arsenal might have to blink and take a whole year worth of a, a Bamiyang rather than a transfer fee and then let him leave on a free. If that means Champions League football, then to me, that's an absolute no-brainer. But I'm sure yeah. there are people at the club that are weighing up how much they can get for him, how much he's going to cost in wages and how much it will actually improve us with him in the squad. And if you look, I mean, just the bare stats say that Arsenal with a Bamiyang are much more likely to get Champions League football than without him and with one of the many decent young players coming through that probably just isn't their time yet. So I would say that for once, it probably is worth them risking letting his contract run down. Yeah, no, it's an exciting time, as you said, with the young players. Sorry, Gareth. You gonna Sorry, one, one question I've got for Alan is uh, I'd, I'd love to know what he thinks of uh, where Lacazette is in all of this. And, you know, if... If uh, Aubameyang does move on, is there a chance for Lacazette to kind of come to the fore as a central striker or do you think that kind of moment has passed? I'm not convinced that that moment has ever been there with, right. with Lacazette. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had a number of arguments on on the Arsenal podcast of this parish, uh, the footballist of the Arsenal podcast, right. where... The, the main presenter, Boyd, is, is a huge fan of Lacazette and, and not a fan of, of Olivier Giroud. And wow. I, keep, I keep pointing out that any Arsenal fan, given the choice of having the last two years of Lacazette or, or Giroud, I, I mean, I would certainly be in the camp that Giroud would be a different type of option. They're different types of players, but in terms of their one-touch finishing... Giroud is far better than Lacazette, even though Lacazette is a half-decent one-touch finisher and he carves out quite a lot. His last three games, he's worked extremely hard because we've been in games where we've been the underdog the last three times and he's had to put in a shift. He has he has scored three in his last five, I believe, but I don't think that he is worthy 
of a position in a club trying to aim for the top four. And if that's to be as the main person you're relying on, if Aubameyang goes, then Arsenal are going to be in trouble. How did you feel about Giroud's performance of the weekend? Because that, that sets up a, a, a lovely final. But, um, I mean, I, he's looking as sharp as he's ever looked, in my eyes. I, I don't, he's not aged an awful lot, even through the through the World Cup. I think he's he's just looked consistently like he always has, you know, and he's that option in terms of the guy that can play down the middle. I, I just think he's a really good player. He, he, his main thing at Arsenal and, and why some Arsenal fans got on his back was during, during the latter years of Arsene Wenger, when obviously there was a hell of a lot of moaning at the Emirates, he went on a, something like a 12-game run in the Premier League where he didn't score a goal. And he was really unlucky with a few of those games. And admittedly, he was poor in a few of those games as well. But that meant that there was just a little stigma attached to him that he never managed to shake off. Yeah. And when he went to Chelsea, I think that was still around him, that, that stigma. And I think Chelsea fans almost, you know, whether they had Arsenal fans that were mates or obviously with these days reading on Twitter... They were suddenly thinking they were getting some dud of a player. And that was bizarre. And yeah. at the start of this season, he wasn't even their first choice. And he slowly had to, for a man of his age, work his way back into a team where he should have been first choice. I like Tammy Abraham a lot, but he's got a lot to learn. Uh, Olivier Giroud should have been leading the line for Chelsea. And he's proved it in the last few weeks. Yeah, no, absolutely. Gareth, did you watch the games at the weekend? Did you see the performances of any of the FA Cup matches? Yeah, I, I watched uh, the best part of, of both games. I, you know, I thought um, Arsenal's game plan was pretty flawless. And as much as City looked strangely listless, I, I think most of the credit probably goes to Arteta and his ability to kind of find out exactly what you know City didn't want to face and how to exploit them. And you know, unsurprisingly, a lot of that was via the fullbacks, which, as we know, is probably their most consistently kind of weak area. But um, yeah, I, I think it's. Yeah, the Liverpool game that Arsenal won in midweek was uh, probably not a true reflection of of the two teams. Um, you know, Liverpool actually did okay, but um, you know, I, I think they they really deserved the plaudits over over City, and it's it's it's, it's very promising. And then um, in the other semi final, it's uh, yeah, I, I'm beginning to become slightly worried about about Chelsea. I, I think if they uh yeah, if they keep signing players like the the ones that they've brought in, if they can bring in Kai Havertz, who I think might be, you know, one of the best young players in Europe, then they they could really be pushing for, you know, a top two spot next year. Yeah, they're looking good, Nick. Uh, last comment in the half, um, Alan, just the one from Pep talking about off pitch things. Him and Arteta seem to have some sort of uh, less of a gripe than uh, perhaps in the back rooms at the clubs, and uh, uh, Pep blaming saying off-pitch things at Arsenal aren't what he would expect of a club. What, what did you make of that? Well, it seems to be that Pep has been told somewhere down the line that, that Arsenal won, were one of the key movers against Manchester City in, in putting forward the uh, FFP complaint. And we'll never know. Um, I mean, I think they, they seem to be convinced that it was a, a an almost a consortium of, of Premier League rivals of theirs led by Arsenal, that put in the FFP complaint and, and turned the scrutiny on Manchester City. We'll never know that. I think that's what he was hinting at when he said off the pitch. And to be fair, 
I'd probably accept that from any one of the 18 other clubs in the Premier League, but, <laughs> but not Manchester City. Because, you know, they, for a long time, they tapped up our players. They they offered them yeah. increased wages, which, you know, if they've got the money, they're going to do it. But I think if there was one club that, that they could probably give a pass on this, it would be Arsenal. Um, and they're also, I think he's also tying Arsenal in with, with Arsene Wenger, who's long left the club. But... He's talking about the um, Arsene Wenger's role at FIFA and whether or not that had an influence over looking at City because he was one of the big advocates of fair play, you know, financial fair play. But I think that's utterly ridiculous. From his position, he should have probably sat this one out. Yeah. All right. What I would say is, even though he has some very questionable on-pitch fashion choices, I I do think that Pep wears that tinfoil hat very well. Yeah, all right. Well, let's leave that on on that point. Absolutely. Uh, Some new boys to discuss after the break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hey, welcome back for the second half. Uh, some old faces coming in, not just as guests on the show, but as teams back to the Premier League. Uh, I think I'll start with Gareth. How do you feel about Leeds and their um, obvious inevitability, perhaps, but still the shock of it was still like, hang on a minute, Leeds are going to be back in the Premier League. How do you feel about it? Uh, so right now I'm very excited. I have to admit, you know, I, I have quite a few friends who support Leeds and even till the very minute that their promotion was confirmed, I was asking like, how are you going to mess this up? Like what's going to happen? Yep. That's going to somehow stop you from getting promoted. And, you know, for so long, obviously that, that now famous song, you know, to the tune of joy division of Leeds, Leeds are falling apart again, you know, it's kind of held so <laughs> true. Um, but they've, uh, you know, they have been brilliant this year. They were great last year. Didn't quite, you know, go the distance. And, and this year, you know, they've they, they've done it with a plum. And it's going to be really exciting to have them back. I I think it's only going to take a few months before those kind of old sort of rivalries or those that kind of old antipathy, uh, you know, rears its head. But you know, it's you know, it'll be exciting. You know, that kind of first Leeds Manchester United game on on TV. I, I think you know has that kind of you know freshness of excitement about it. Yeah, well, off off the pitch, even more so than on it, because it'll be interesting to see the else's the reaction to him in the Premier League and how he goes about it. Because a man is thorough as him, but he's got his work cut out, mm. hasn't he, Al? And uh, Al, in terms of Leeds coming back, what are your memories of them first time round? Did you no love lost? I'm guessing. Um, I think I enjoyed them as opponents. I re- I remember um a cup tie in I think it was ninety one or ninety one season where we won the league but got knocked out in the semi final of the FA Cup to uh well Gareth will know. Um 
But we played Leeds, I think, three times that season in, in the FA Cup uh, in a number of replays. And I just remember them being really fierce opponents. And then towards the end, I remember them coming to Highbury and being absolutely dismantled by Thierry Henry in one of their final, I think it might have been their final Premier League season. So, uh, I mean, obviously, the year after the 91 Cups, they, they, they took the title from us and... I remember them coming to Highbury and being one of the best teams I've seen under, uh, was it Howard Wilkinson, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with Eric Cantona. So, I mean, they are a big, big team. And you you think about the rivalries that they've got coming up next season. I mean, Leeds and Chelsea was a massive rivalry in the 70s, and they still sing about each other now. So that's going to be a big game. Yeah. You know, United as well. There's definitely that, that on run, ongoing thing with Arsenal. And they are a big club, and it... People would always say, well, it's a pyramid, so whoever is in the Premier League does deserve to be there because they've earned it. But Leeds are one of those things that if you were going to if you were going to rewrite it again tomorrow, you put them in there maybe with Sheffield Wednesday or some other big clubs like that. Yes, yeah, maybe a Forest. Uh, you look at those teams and it is, uh, the Championship as ever is fiercely competitive and the team's coming up and it's, it's very dramatic league to watch. But, uh, you know, Leeds as a club, they have that feeling of being a Premier League club, don't they? And, and, and as you say, Gareth, Quite a few people. We, there's always a few people from our generation, though, isn't there? Leeds was a team that they supported, so those guys are going to be gloating and uh, enjoying it more than anyone. Oh, I mean, yeah, so much. It's you know that amazing sort of Champions League run is now uh, you know around about 20 years ago, which 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 dates us all horribly. Um, but you know, they there was obviously a period where they were you know the, probably the most glamorous team in in, in the Premier League and. You know, they were everyone's darlings with David O'Leary talking about his babies. And, uh, you know, you had that sort of young collection of people like Kewell and Smith and Woodgate and Bowyer. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, and they fell incredibly hard. But it's it's going to be exciting because, you know, they're as well as, you know, the reputation and the history of Leeds, what they have now is obviously very exciting manager, someone who a lot of managers, you know, learn at the feet of and, and worship, you know, Guardiola and Pochettino were both, renowned fans and, and disciples. So uh, he's going to bring a really interesting style of football. And, you know, if it all goes well, if they can secure some of the players who are currently on loan there this year and maybe bring a few more in, then I think they, they, they could be competitive as well. One of the really interesting things about Bielsa is that um, when, when some professional gamblers get together and they produce their ratings for teams, players and managers... Usually it's a bit of a, it's a fair mix of all three that go into the pot when assessing a team. And Bielsa seems to have about 50% of Leeds rating just based on his ability alone to turn what are deemed as ordinary players elsewhere into absolute well beaters. And that is, that is a huge advance on their rating. Whether it works so much in the Premier League remains to be seen, but there's some much better uh, form judges and, and football judges than myself that are saying that actually they fancy Leeds for top 10 minimum next season. Wow. That, that is a brilliant tidbit. Thank you. Yeah, that is. I love it because I, that's one of the, the hallmarks of the Premier League is the ability for teams that are organised to come up with the right mentality and the right spirit in the squad to produce something. Certainly, maybe in the first season, can usually get a couple out of it, can even do a Huddersfield and just cling on for day life for a few. But at Leeds have, seem to have, they're coming up playing the right way, aren't they? And they've got, they've got a little bit of energy about them. I always wonder, 
it's it's funny, isn't it, Levla? And listen, I don't watch enough of Leeds to know, uh, but I've seen enough of Patrick Bamford over the years to know that whenever he's come back into Premier League, he's not quite cut the mustard. So there's players like that, whether Bielsa can squeeze an extra drop out of them or t- or convince them that they are good enough to do it. But I think you're right. There's something about him. There's certainly an aura about him as a manager, um, which he brings, which you know you you feel from Klopp or Pep or someone that's got that just a- a- extra either thinking ability or just ability to to kind of motivate people. I know he's not a man that gives away an awful lot of emotion, but uh, but yeah, but it's going to be great to see. Um, I'm just watching the the warm ups going on tonight because let's have a let's have a quick chat about the relegation battles going on because with that four nil City victory over Watford, it's put them on level goal difference with Villa. I mean, ow, uh, what are the odds looking like at the bottom? Because it must be a little bit. There must be still a little bit of life in it. Oh, there's there's loads of life left in that that final position. Um, I mean, fortunately, from from my professional point of view, as as uh, working for West Ham sponsors, you know, we needed them to remain in the league, barring uh, barring a huge goal swing with uh, Aston Villa. They look safe, so um, they're looking for Arsenal just to seal that tonight. But that goal difference damage to Watford really does harm them. Um, Aston Villa have been well-backed against Arsenal today. Um, Arsenal have drifted out to 5-4, to four, so they're odds against for a trip to a side in the bottom three in the Premier League. A lot of that wow. is to do with the fact that they need the points. But look, Arsenal still think that they maybe should aim to come, well, at least above Tottenham, but certainly around those, those Europa League places, just in case it doesn't work out in the FA Cup. So I wouldn't say that Arsenal were turning up at Villa Park tonight trying um, to just ease into a game. But Aston Villa, yeah, obviously, if they beat Arsenal tonight, um, if they beat Arsenal just by one goal, they're going to go to minus 26, where Watford are on minus uh, 23 at the moment. So, um, sorry, they're going to be on minus exactly the same. They're going to go above them, regardless of whether they play. Uh, Sorry, regardless of how much they win by tonight. So just any kind of win gets Aston Villa above Watford in the league. And then Aston Villa goes to West Ham side that obviously... Because if Villa do win, means that they do need to be careful on that final day. So they're always setting it, setting themselves up to to give West Ham something to play for on that final day. So that's that's the intriguing one for me. And I must admit, you know, prior to lockdown and prior to West Ham uh, beating Watford last week, I was looking at that West Ham Aston Villa fixture, thinking that is going to be the game of the season. It's not quite worked out, but Villa can certainly liven things up tonight. Well, it's very squeaky, isn't it? Gareth, uh, have you, well, how have you assessed that? Go on, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, so as an incredibly neutral observer, <laughs> I'm strongly rooting for Aston Villa tonight, purely for the um, the excitement on the last day of the season. It, it's, it's, it's a cruel thing having that last day relegation, but it's probably the most exciting thing you can have in, in sport. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with well... Let's look at Villa's issues though, because they, they've they've never had, they haven't struggled with spirit. They've just struggled they've struggled putting the ball in the back of the net, haven't they? And they've got they, this. They wouldn't look out of place in the Premier League next year. It just feels like they've they haven't had a lot of luck. You know, I quite like Dean uh, Dean Smith as a manager. Um, he was always a hard bastard to play against whenever I had to come up against him. He was at Orient for a good few years, so I did I did mate, I did see a lot of him. But yeah, just in terms of the Villa players. I mean, if they if they manage to stay up, would they be able to keep all the Grealish, Gareth? I I think he'll I think he'd stay as long as they're in the Premier League, or certainly for another another season or so. I'm I'm not so sure. I I I, I felt similarly to you with with Villa. I thought they'd 
had a good season, sort of deserved it. But then you kind of look at it and, you know, their transfer business has not been good. None of the players they've brought in have really contributed. Um, it is, apart from maybe Conor Hurahan, who's, you know, he does bring excellent set pieces and certain qualities. It is, you know, it is the Grealish show. And, you know, without him, I think they would be, they'd be doomed already. But yeah, I, I would say there's probably a bit more about them than, a couple of teams, but then you, you look at the West Ham squad and you say, well, you know, that is a much stronger squad and first yeah. team than most of the other sort of relegation candidates. And, you know, I there's also that thing where Watford, even though they do kind of hover around that bottom further the table, they're, they're also a very experienced squad and they have a lot of know-how and, you know, they are a very established Premier League team. So it, it's kind of hard to call it after. After Bournemouth and Norwich, I, I think... Whoever goes down will probably feel a little hard done by, but there's also reasons why they're down there. Correct. Uh, well, let's have last word on that um, fr- from both of you, because uh, the Pearson decision, which we haven't even touched on, mm. I, f- I found was baffling. And there seems to be a little bit that hasn't been said there. Al, have you heard any rumblings or, or what's your assessment of that? I honestly have no idea what, what has happened there at Watford. Um, I mean, it, it seems crazy that they could play out a season with four managers. Um, people point to the fact that, yes, obviously they're still in a relegation fight and that that game against West Ham was a terrible result for them in in a number of ways. But it was also a terrible performance. And they talked about it in the commentary. And I'm wondering, I'm, I'm really wondering if, if, if the commentator is actually, and I think it was Martin Tyler and Gary Neville, I'm wondering if the commentator has really done Pearson a bit of a disservice because he said that he spoke to him before that game and he told his players not to get too wound up about the game. And this is obviously probably their biggest game of the season. They arrive at the London Stadium and apparently Pearson tells the commentators in the pre-match interview that he told his players not to get too wound up about the game. And in the first 10 minutes... They can see two goals and the game's gone. Yeah. Now, I just wonder if that's filtered back to any kind of either the players saying, oh, I don't think he had us prepared properly or something like that where it's triggered. Someone like Troy Deeney maybe, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not putting words in his mouth here, but I think he's the type of player in a dressing room that would go to club owners and say, well, you won't believe this. He, he's, he's told us not to really focus on that. And I think after players have switched off and, yeah, you know, yeah. just a, a rumbling of discontent, because to me, it seems insane to to have got rid of him. Just just on the sheer fact that it will take someone else um, at least a pile of videos to to work out who, who should play where and, and how they should play in their final two games. Yeah. And obviously that has come back to bite them tonight. And against Arsenal next weekend it could come back to bite them again yeah absolutely Gareth he's a, he's a man that's not he's a, he's a man that's not shy of speaking his mind is he Pearson and, but he's got a few players there in the dressing room there could have been something more to that than, than perhaps meets the eye yeah it, it's a really strange one it, it is worth kind of pointing out obviously um, he's one of those managers where the media love him and maybe loathe him in equal amounts he, he's, he's great box office but he does have a reputation obviously as being quite a quite a fierce and confrontational individual. So there's this natural assumption that it's something that he has done and he's kind of created this kind of explosive situation maybe. But the other thing worth noting is his contract was only for the rest of the season, 
Um, so he's, you know, he's left with two games early, but it wasn't like he was on a five-year deal. But also, um, it's, you know, this is a board who, you know, are very happy to chop and change their managers. And, you know, they they run a number of clubs, you know, across Europe with uh, with Udinese and, and also in Spain. And, you know, they are happy to move. So it may just be that, you know, they made this sort of fairly quick decision that bringing in a player for a manager for that two game bounce might work in their favor. It's uh, it might not necessarily have been something that, that he himself did, but we will see. We will see indeed. Well, listen, uh, thank you both for, for joining me tonight. Um, hopefully have you back for the end of the season. Cause there's going to be some Champions League stuff going on, I'm sure, and maybe even uh, some interesting things happening next week after the resumption of the games. But listen, Al, and, great. And the FA Cup final. Arsenal are in the FA wow, Cup final. Wow, well, this is it, yeah. Get me back you, to that. <laughs> yeah, listen, if, 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 we're, if we're covering it, you're on it, all right? Thanks, <laughs> thanks for coming on tonight, mate. Really, really good to have you on. Pleasure, enjoyed it. Thanks, Gareth, again, as always. Pleasure. Thank I'll you very speak, much for having me. Speak to you both soon. That was the Whistleblowers. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. Sports Social Podcast Network.